permaculture tonight. We've got an amazing one coming out of South Africa tonight. This took a few times to get right and to get our signals perfectly aligned. But Ed Gaba, fellow alum of Jeff Lawton Online Permaculture School, just came back from the International Permaculture Convergence in London. He's got a lot to share. He's got a lot of vision. And he even has an Indiegogo campaign that could really use your help right now. So let's check it out. I'll put a link up and let's see if we can all help Ed out and get South Africa an amazing demonstration site with Ed. So let's do it. Let's start in right now. Uh, the main food stuff in uh, South Africa is maize. Um, and uh, 90%, over 90% of our, of our maize is currently GMO. Well, you know, the problem with their, the number one thing I don't like about their GMO corn is it's, I mean, it's completely uninspired. It's, um, you have to kill everything to get it to grow. And then, uh, I really like, um, flower corn. Have you ever used flower corn? I'm not familiar with it, no. So it's, it's, it's a different type of maize that the, uh, the, you know, when you break open a, a regular corn, um, kernel there's an inside piece and then an outside piece and the outside piece is like the yellow part that's like see-through sometimes in popcorn do you know what i'm talking about yes yeah and then the inside is yes, this this little this little white thing it's huge in flower corn it's actually the entire thing is almost the white middle part and then the outer outer part that's okay. the outer part that would break your teeth is um very tiny and, and thin so it's a reverse, it's actually the opposite of flint corn. And so you can make wonderful flowers and cakes and hard breads, uh, like uh, like sandwich bread, you know what I mean? Um, you can do all these wonderful must, things. Do you have any research around that? Yeah, I, uh, Carol, Carol Depp wrote The Resilient Gardener, and she uh, it's a book, a wonderful book, about, um, about ha surviving off of just what you grow. And she takes you through ducks, potatoes, corn, beans, and squash. And those are the things that she considers the staples. And it's truly, truly incredible. Um, flower corn is like a miracle that... Um, well, all right, so what happened was basically all the tribes got smashed together um, onto these reservations. And so their individual uh, corns that they were growing in all the individual patches combined. And so all these mixed colors started happening with this rainbow corn. Um, and all each color actually is a different flavor and culinary um, application. So like white flour from like the, the flour corn is much more like cake and pancakes. While the red is much more like firm, like harder bread, um, like sandwich bread. So, so just that, that kind of simple thing is something that we've forgotten about. Um, and... I don't know what else. What, what do you grow that's native in South Africa? Yeah. Um, look, there's there's only two types of, of of maize or corn as you refer to it in South Africa. There's white maize and there's yellow maize. Yeah. Um, uh, native our native species are are things that I'm actually going to be looking at to see how we can we can get a lot of uh, um, a lot back into it. Uh, We've got the African potato as an example, um, which is a, a super healthy potato breed, and it grows wild here. Yeah. Uh, we got we got 
a, a, a lot of wild uh, amaranth and all kinds of other things that grow naturally in South Africa that that our cultures have got have lost. We no longer look after it. We no longer use it as our staple diets and stuff like that. And 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 I'm going to be uh, uh, separating a. a uh, or putting aside a piece of, of our site to uh, try and revive a lot of that and speak to a lot of the elders from the local communities um, to see if uh, what what knowledge they still have that they can pass on that we can try to revive again. Uh, but there's, there's there's a lot of things that you might know of as well. Um, uh, rooibos tea, what you might call red bush. Rubius. Um, uh, because it's too difficult to pronounce in in uh, in, in uh, the English language, it's actually referred to as rooibos. Um, my brother, is, my brother gave me that uh, when he when he came back from South Africa. My brother gave me that, and he actually did pronounce it correctly and tried to teach it to me. But um, maybe now it'll stick. Rooibos. Rooibos, yes. Rooibos. Um, uh, uh, it's it's a guttural language, so it's difficult to pronounce if you if you uh, come from uh, from an Anglophone country. Um, it's not actually a tea, funny enough. It's actually a weed. Um, but we drink, yes, but we drink it as a tea, and it is packed full of antioxidants. It is super healthy. It's got zero caffeine in it. Um, if you ask for tea in South Africa, chances are you're going to get rooibos. Uh, you actually have to ask for normal tea, for black tea or English tea or Chinese tea if you want something else, because default is you're going to get rooibos here. Well, I that's great because we only drink herbal tea in my family. We don't drink caffeinated tea or anything like that, but or, or coffee or anything like that. So yeah, we love herbal teas, and we totally have explored uh, rooibos. And uh, <laughs> maybe I'm not saying it right yet, but uh, yeah, we've totally yeah, used fine. that. And I, I think I used it when I had a, a cold and when I was sick in New York, in Brooklyn. You yourself, you, you're a very artistic individual. You like music, you play in a band and stuff like that, um, uh, which is fantastic. By the way, you would have loved to, uh, I don't know if you've seen them in action before, the Formidable Vegetable Sound System. Yeah, you know, uh, I haven't seen the them, but I've, I'm toying with the idea of doing a permaculture album and giving it away for free or something. Right. Fantastic. I'd love to hear it and I'll support you any in any which way that, that I can. I mean Charlie and the guys they were they were phenomenal. They they're hysterically funny. They're very, very talented. Um uh, I, I uh, showed Charlie and the gang a, a, a little video that my wife sent me while I was in the UK of uh, uh my kids dancing to one of their songs and they completely freaked out because they love the idea that the kids like their music and that the kids are learning about the the beauty of the soil and and uh, how you should value your food system and, and, and things like that. They didn't figure that, that their music reached as far as a country like South Africa. Um, uh, but it has. But, you know, what we're talking about now is not necessarily politics. Hey, it's the social aspect of permaculture, which to me I've always found very intriguing. I mean, when I started reading up about the history of permaculture, there was always a lot of talk about how permaculture split very early on uh, between the practical aspect of it, and the social aspect of it. Um, but I, I could never, and up to today, I really cannot understand why people split it, because to me, it's one and the same thing. What is the point behind having a practical, practically implementable um, principle if it does not affect the social angle in a positive manner? It's all about the people at the end of the day. 
where I, I, anyway. Yeah, I agree. Where where was that said, and who's saying that? I've never even heard of that. No, it's just that when I started reading up about permaculture uh, several years ago, um, I got the distinct feeling that there was a split between the the the, the two main players in the in, in in the permaculture world, Bill and and um, I forget the other gentleman's name. David now. Holgram. Um, that's it, David, and between David and Bill, because one wanted to go the direction of let's do what is what is practically doable, and the other one wanted to also consider the 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 the, the angles of of the social side of and the spiritual side of permaculture. Now I could be very wrong in, in, in the reading that I that I got out of it in the beginning, but I definitely picked that up over the years. Um, uh, uh, in speaking to different permaculture people, I find that even today, I mean. Uh, I'm just thinking of one specific couple now, a husband and wife team. The, the gentleman is, is a highly skilled, very practical, qualified permaculture teacher. But on the other side, his wife, as much as she loves nature and she loves people, she's more into dancing and singing and spirituality. And, and you'd think that the two are diametrically opposed, but they are actually not. They are actually one and the same thing. As an example, at the at the IPC, I picked up on that. If you wanted to go to the convergence, which I believe is the standard, if you want to go to any convergence, you have to have done your PDC, um, which pretty much excludes a lot of people who want to approach permaculture from a, a less practical angle. Um, I also find that on the social networks that there's a lot of uh, uh, disagreement between uh, uh, different groups as to how it can be approached. Some want to include the spiritual angle, others don't. I find that amongst the elders as well. Most of the elders that I deal with from a permaculture perspective are very practical. They have zero interest in what they consider to be the hippie factor. You know, uh, musicians, uh, people who wear funny clothing or don't wear shoes. Um, uh, uh, they're only interested in the food angle or the building angle. And, and I find that rather strange, I must say, because I... Personally, I think that they they all work together. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. Hmm. Well, I think it has to do with, um, from what I gather, I didn't think David with Dave Holmgren was part of that, but from what I gather is that there were some New Age religions that tried to use permaculture as proof of their religion. And I don't know who did that or at what point, whether that happened or not, but that's what I've heard. And that sounds like something that would bother everyone. I think it would bother a lot of people. people. Correct, yes. Permaculture is for everyone. And um, I do think that in America right now, there is a huge movement uh, within Christianity and permaculture. And it's very exciting because people are seeing permaculture permaculture as a way of being Christian and I know that there are people who are Muslim who are seeing permaculture as a way of practicing being a Muslim and people are seeing these like permaculture as a way of doing what they already want to do better and it's as a way of systematizing it's like it's a renaissance I believe it's a renaissance it's a new way of thinking and so it makes us better and it makes us more ethical and so it's this ethical revolution that's happening. And that's why it has nothing to do with 
individual religions. It can have religion and spirituality, but it's not flowing from it. It's helping the flow. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you, got it, you got it spot on. I mean, uh, uh, I find uh, uh, permaculture to me is exactly that. It is, it, is, it is something that allows me to do what I've always known was right. I just couldn't figure out what or how. I know, right? Um, oh. uh, and, and even from a spiritual perspective, I've always been searching for that. So when the two come together, it's a, it's a, it's a natural bond and it becomes a beautiful thing. So, it allows you to enact that which you've always been taught or felt to be true. So my church has an incredibly large amount of land in America. They, bought, they, they buy a lot of agricultural land regularly so that they can provide people with food um, who need it. And they have so much land and it's managed, you know, conventionally that if I can just influence my church to switch, they will f cause a sea change in the entire industry of agriculture in America. So if we can... If we, right, right, right. So I want to get all these welfare farms and, and as part of my church to actually become permaculture farms so that they no longer are requiring tithing to run. You just have one lump sum of tithing that goes to you know pay for, for these farms. And then, and then you can, uh, or, or it might be fast offerings actually. And then, and, then, and then they build it and then they don't have to do anything with it again other than pay land taxes and then services for the people who are working on it. So overhead disappears. Suddenly that becomes the, the standard, right? Because people are like, well, I, I could save so much money. Let's do it, you know? So I'm trying to do that with, with my own. I, 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 I feel like the permaculture design um, can really help in so many different ways and religion and spirituality can play a part. I just think that it has to be understood that it's a design science that's applicable to everything rather than something yes. that's a, a piece of something else. It is instead the connection between everything. And, and, and that's exactly the way that, that, that I believe it to be as well. I just call it something different. I think we spoke about it the other day. When people ask me about permaculture, whether it be from a social angle or an agricultural angle or whatever the case might be, I always akin it to that sticky gel. That So you have all these great things, uh, whether it be uh, uh, the aquaculture or whether it be agriculture or whether it be religion as an example. And, and, and what permaculture does for me is it becomes that, that sticky gel that puts all these great things together from a whole system thinking design perspective. You know, so you're looking at the entire system, the earth system, the human being psyche, the human being's natural health, um, the society angle, everything comes together from a whole system thinking design perspective. And, and that truly really does work for me, which is why I'm so excited about it. Me too. It, and, and the thing is, it's a way that I can suddenly communicate to people that I could never communicate with. My 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 my, yeah, my, dad, my dad is a business person, and my elder brother, uh, my eldest brother, is a he's a financial advisor, um, and so that's you know that's his whole system, that's what he believes, and I can talk to him because the economy really should run like an ecosystem, and because I understand the way an ecosystem should work, and because of the language of permaculture, I can communicate to him. 
uh, my like business plans now in a way that he understands and he's like, oh wow, that's great, you know. He can, he can understand what I'm doing and, and, and suddenly we, we can communicate. And, it, and it, not only that, I can understand him, he can understand me, and then suddenly the ideas of permaculture are palatable to someone that would have never ever accepted them if I was, you know, positing it in a different way. Yeah, if you were talking about plants and trees, you wouldn't have cared. But it's amazing how that works. Eh? If you Once you figure out how, you know, in, in the professional world, we, we refer to these things as frameworks and methodologies and so on and so forth. And I do the very same thing that you that you do in, in your example. I, I deal with with my audit colleagues and, and, and people from the professional level of the world uh, on a daily basis. And I take the permaculture what I refer to as the methodologies and frameworks, and I speak to them about the important things in, in that frame of mind, and then they can actually put it into context because you have to speak their language, um, which is what, which is going to be the, the, the hard part for us as, as permaculture practitioners, taking permaculture from fringe to mainstream. We have to package it in such a way. We have to, to use a language that... The everyday person understands so that that uh, uh, they can also become excited and to a little degree become addicted to permaculture the way that we do right and that's now, gonna be hard but I'm sure that we can do it right now permaculture is the Gutenberg Bible it's the printing press it's we are experiencing the beginning of a new renaissance new ways of thinking are about to radically revolutionize everything around us That's one way of looking at it, and that means you're a pioneer, just like a lot of the plants that you uh, that you put into the soil, eh? Well, so are you. So let's talk about that. Your site in your Indiegogo <laughs> campaign. Let's talk about that. Yes. So uh, we got a little Indiegogo campaign going. Um, it, as 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 you all know, it's there's there is some input costs when you start up in the beginning. Now we started this. This journey, as we call it, three years ago, um, when uh, 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 we started planning for everything. I have sold off our house and I bought the land cash. Um, I have spent the last three years killing off debt because you don't want to walk onto a site with debt. Um, I have also done a phenomenal amount of design work on the site to, and the environment and the area and all of that to try and ensure that we... Um, we do this as best we can, but at the end of the day, between my wife and myself and the three little kids, we also only have so much funds available. And since since I'm going to stop working, the income disappears. Um, so we've got a lot of things that will be happening this December and in the in the months following in 2016, um, because there is nothing on that site. Uh, there's no house. There's no nothing. So we're literally going to have to go put up the ponds, put in the swales. Uh, we're going to put up a whole bunch of different beds and all kinds of other things. Uh, I've got over 3,000 seeds, vegetable seeds alone. Uh, heirloom, open pollinated, organic, you name it. I've got it all. All wow. kinds of different Who gave varieties. You all those? That, say again? Who Did you get those at the conference? No, 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 no. I bought that from a company called Seeds for Africa. Um, uh, that that does fantastic work in getting uh, heirloom and 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 the like type of seeds uh, for, for 
the South African market. It's a very rare thing. We don't have seed banks and stuff like that here in South Africa. Um, seed sharing is is something that, that is only talked about at this stage, which is something that I hope uh, the permaculture community will start working on here soon. So I've got over 3,000 seeds sitting in a box waiting to be planted as soon as we get there. We've got over 1,000 trees, the vast majority of them being reparative species, pioneer species, uh, nitrogen-fixing species, that kind of stuff that we're going to be planting on the swales. Um, so we've got a lot of work waiting for us, but we also know, like I said, our funds will only go so far so we have to be we have to put on the brakes i mean originally my design had swales much larger than what what we plan to do now um, we had five ponds uh, on the design where we only have one now because i mean the machinery costs a small fortune um, uh, plus we also have to unfortunately uh, bring in a lot of resources to the site because we're only starting up on the site i mean i need I calculated I needed about 40 square, uh, about 40 square, 40 cubes, cubic meters of, of compost for the for a thin layer on the swales and for the beds and stuff like that. Now that's not a lot if you've got a lot of time at, at, on on the site to to develop yourself. But if you're only moving onto the site in December, you're going to have to have that ready. It's the same How with a lot of the, the other things. Um, so, so we're going to have to spend some money in the beginning to get a lot of the resources in and to get the infrastructure in. We're going to be building a, a gambrel-style barn uh, by hand, my wife and I, um, and we're going to keep it off-grid. We're going solar with the power of gas with the heating and the cooking, uh, biodigester for the toilets. Um, we've got a whole bunch of very interesting little designs for, for zone one around the house that we're going to try, including something that that doesn't really is not supposed to work in, in our environment which is the banana circle but we're going to do it anyway because we're confident that we'll be able to create a, a little microclimate that'll be able to handle it um so we're hoping that that people will come to the party in, in assisting us in putting some funds into this into this campaign but as you know it's not always that easy unfortunately at this stage we've only got i think it's 195 pounds in there we were hoping to get it up to about a thousand pounds because that in South African currency is 20,000 Rand. Um, that would, would effectively pay for the 1,000 trees that I'm putting in in December, which means that I can put that money towards another implementation. But, you know, if we don't get it, it's not the end of the world. Uh, we'll just continue as is. So the soil uh, on the site is, is, is shallow. Um, it is poor. It is a slightly acidic, uh, sandy loam, so it's quite good. But we need to build up uh, the humus layer, which is uh, um, why we, we, we are going to be putting in a, a phenomenal amount of beans. There will be, uh, I have uh, three species that I'm going to be mixing up. It is sun hemp, uh, lab lab, and one other species that I mix up 50% uh, and 25 25%. And then uh, I put that in there. The, the compost uh, is really only going to be a thin layer along with some uh, vermicompost that I'm going to get from a lady called Carmen Nottingham. She's, she's an earthworm expert here in South Africa. Um, uh, but we're going to be doing a large amount of the teas. Uh, and the, uh, the reason for that being is not just to spray and spread on the soil. We're going to be doing a, a lot of biochar. 
Um, one of the issues in South Africa is that we've got a lot of invasive species, and, and that is no different uh, in the area that my site is. The, the invasive species that we have there is uh, the Australian black wattle um, and the Port Jackson, as an example. Now, those are great trees, and they're there for a reason, obviously, and they're doing fantastic work. But uh, the people in the area do not like them because they believe that it's taking up water. So they, what they do is they just come in, they cut them down, and then they leave them there, lying there, and then they move on, which is ironic because you and I know what that actually does from a water perspective. It actually makes your water poor. Um, so what we've decided to do is we're going to, instead of trying to cut down all those trees, we're going to manage it. We're going to use it to make biochar and stuff like that because there is a lot of it. And then we're going to soak that biochar because we're literally going to be making tons of it. In compost which means tea. that we're going to have to make ton, tons of liters of compost tea and the like to, to soak that in. So that, that, that biochar can then go into the swales and stuff and effectively become a fantastic home for the microorganisms and the like. And that's going to be a, a way for us to kickstart the system Woo. along with the beans, along with the, 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 uh, the many uh, reparative tree species that we're putting in and the leguminous species that we're putting in. Um, uh, uh, we're going to be layering it. I'm putting in um, uh, uh, rock dust. I'm putting in sea minerals. Um, I'm even going to be putting, believe it or not, for swales. This, the, you know, I, I've seen them do it for gardens. I've never seen anyone do this for swales. But I'm actually going to try and put in newspaper and cardboard underneath my large swales, you know, uh, to, to hold water for longer. So we're going to be layering the living heck out of that system to try and kickstart it as quickly as possible. Awesome. Sounds great. Have you considered uh, putting wood chips in your path and inoculating the wood chips? We're doing that too. Um, so what we've done is uh, uh, there's a, a company in town that, uh, that fixes lawnmowers and stuff like that and I asked them to go and source a wood chipper for me, a, a petrol one. Um, it's not so big that I have to tow it with my with my vehicle but I can put it on the back of my vehicle and uh, I'm going to be using that to chip up a lot of wood for pathways and the like to, to try and um, keep out uh, the, the excess growth um, and I will be inoculating it as such because as the rain comes down, because it's a soft rain, it's not a very hard rain, it's, it's soft rain that just goes on for days and days and days. It'll slowly leach all those great nutrients into the, into the neighboring systems. Uh, previously, we spoke about the APU, the African Permaculture Union, which was conceived during the, the last IPC. Uh, just over 50 people got together. I think it's 15 or 16 different African countries that were represented. Um, and, and we're getting going quite fast. Uh, we've got the Facebook group up and running. Um, there's a little bit of infighting amongst uh, the different groups, uh, uh, but that's to be expected. You know, it's a, it's a human nature thing because in every country there's always a group of people that tend to think they should be in charge. But this is for the entire Africa, and uh, the aim of the union of the group is not to be in charge of anything. It's merely to function as an umbrella uh, for all the different countries and parties, um, including the diaspora, um, to, to get involved from a permaculture perspective and represent Africa at the IPC. And we want to try and get it to a formalized state, state where we 
can actually start uh, collecting funds to send uh, disadvantaged individuals to the IPC as scholars, as an example. We want to be able to to uh, uh, to recreate some of the literature in uh, local languages. Um, we want to be able to disseminate some of the local material a lot better, which which is actually very great. We've got some really good books and stuff out there, but most people don't know about it, and there's very little funds available to do that. So we're gonna we're gonna try and expand it. Um, at the moment, I'm working on a website. I'm I'm hoping to have it live by the end of this weekend, so that uh, the African Permaculture Union is then represented uh, on the internet uh, much wider than than uh, just on Facebook, as an example. Um, one of our primary focus areas for that website will be to build up a contact database of individuals and organizations across Africa, um, but to also include a skills matrix, which is very important. We want to know who has done what from a permaculture perspective. Do you have your PDC? Have you done your diploma? Have you done an EDE? Um, have you done an introduction? Um, do you have a site? Are you part of an organization? Uh, perhaps even more important, do you have any skills that are not permaculture related that could help the cause? Uh, let's say maybe you're an accountant or you're in IT or you're a builder. Um, uh, and that's how we're going to start slowly but surely building this up. Um, and and what, I'm, what I'm enjoying about this is that the elders... The volunteer elders, they're all volunteers. No one's getting paid for this. These people have put up their hands and they've said, I will be the representative for my region. So we've got four regions. We've got uh, Central and uh, West Africa, which forms one region. We've got North Africa, we've got East Africa, and then we've got Southern Africa. And uh, these elders are now starting to work together, which is something that was much of a rarity, um, to try and get the people at grassroots level um, to start together and and then slowly but surely feed information through and it'll make its way all the way up to the website we're effectively going to have like a permaculture magazine type website or a, a permaculture global type website but for africa so it features uh organizations and sites and individuals from an african perspective because that's what we want to do we we want to be proud of our African heritage. We want it to be for Africans, by Africans, so that we can show the power of permaculture uh, in our beautiful continent with all our beautiful people. Yeah, I love it. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I must say, we, we're gonna, you know, a lot of people are negative about such things because they all say, you know, this has been tried before, so on and so forth, and it's failed before. But I really believe our time has come. I truly believe that. I, I believe now is, is the time for us to do this. Um, and, and given the fact that I am a ginger, you know, I am a redhead, I don't really know how to give up. Um, so if ah. I have to push, I will keep pushing. <laughs> so that's all Viking blood, you know, right? That is Viking blood, yeah. If you take the, I mean, I have a very rare surname, um, Gaber. Uh, very few people in my country have ever heard of it, and it's almost impossible to find. There's only a handful of us across the world. So ever since I was a child, we uh, I've been looking out. I've been doing research. Uh, it's it's actually one of my pet things that I do. Um, and, and myself and a few other people in, in South Africa and across the world 
have over the years put together a lot of research, and we've been able to to tie it back pretty much to Scottish Vikings. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but it's difficult, you know. The, we don't come from the parts of the world where people could read and write, you know. Uh, so. Uh, oh, but my oral history, as you should know. My grandfather couldn't write. Yeah, but as you should know, because you come from an, uh, uh, you're in Africa where the oral historians still are. We have the ability to to remember huge histories and to remember huge tracts of information because we come from oral historians. Oh, and that's a beautiful thing. I, I know the stories all get little tales every time they get passed on. Uh, one of the downsides about uh, about my family history is that every single generation seemed to have had the same problem. There was a big fallout among that that, that generation. And people never spoke to each other again. And 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 my father is among the few people still alive that that know that, that history of uh, of several generations back. And I had to literally drag it out of him because he did not want to tell me. It's it's very much an ego thing, very much a pride thing. Um, they they don't want to uh, talk about these things because I mean, as an example, uh, uh, having a child out of wedlock was considered a terrible sin. Um, and, and, and even my dad wouldn't speak about such things. Um, uh, you know, but I dragged it out of him eventually, and we started getting all that oral history together. And it makes for a beautiful story. I don't know why the previous generations were so uptight about these things. What I can tell you is that the current generation, my generation, of which I'm the oldest in my family, um, uh, we don't see it that way. We talk, we we gather, we we might not do it as much as we'd like to. I mean, because uh, we're scattered across the country, but uh, we we don't have the same issues as the previous generations did. And I see that as, you know, the Gutenberg Bible, as you called it earlier. You know, the the sea change. Something is changing. It's not just changing in my household family. It's changing in my extended family. It's changing in my friend circle. It's changing in my country. It's changing in my continent. It is changing in the world, and I am, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, it's a wonderful time to be alive. There's amazing things happening. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. I'm gonna start bowling soon if you don't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna go through okay. your interviews, and we'll, we'll we'll post your interviews as part of this. Do you have any um, any? Any things to say about your interviews? Any anything you want to share about your uh, the interviews that you took? No, look, they, uh, we were very busy, so I didn't get a lot of chance. They, they short and sweet. Uh, I hope they help you, but I do have some good news for you, um, and it's completely off topic. We've been having a heat wave here the last week and a half, and it just started raining. So I'm sitting outside with my tablet in the rain, talking to you, and I feel blessed. And ah. I'm. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity, Matt. I think you've done a fantastic job so far, and I hope we can we can actually get to meet in person one day. I, I totally hope that too. It sounds like you have such a wonderful family and a wonderful life, and I hope that your your Indiegogo breaks over uh, a thousand pounds, and you can plant those thousand trees and move on to the next part of your uh, part of your site. And I hope that you all can move on to that site as soon as possible and that everything goes as smoothly as possible. Thank you very much. We will keep everyone posted. We will, we will bomb YouTube and Facebook and the like and make sure that everyone gets uh, kept in the loop. Awesome. Okay then, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
was an amazing interview. Ed is an inspiration. He is always so positive, always ready to work, willing to help, ready to do anything. And for me, that's what permaculture is. It's a willingness to share, a willingness to help, a willingness to make things better anywhere you are in any situation. So big thanks to Ed. And I can't wait to see what comes out of South Africa in the coming years. All right, thank you for joining us. Have a good night.